Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. All right, welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, again, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you, Justin? Awesome. Well, we're almost, actually we are, we're over 10 episodes deep now, and I feel like getting better each time. What do you think, buddy? Um, I want to believe that, but, um, well, I hope it's true. (laughs) (laughs) We'll let the audience decide. And so far we're getting some good traction. So I'd say we are. We can ask our moms what they think. Yeah. (laughs) And they always tell us the truth or what they, what they think that we want to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, you know, what's funny is, uh, so my mom is 70 something. And when she heard I was doing a quote unquote radio show, because <laughs> that's what she thinks it is, she started listening to them. And, and it's always nice when the, when Mama Bear sends you a message at like random time. She's like, I just listened to this episode and I learned so much and you just, you're so good at speaking. And it's like, thanks, mom. You're still there for me. <laughs> it's awesome. So uh, anyway, so one thing I wanted to do, I thought would be neat going forward is on each episode sort of mention either a current event or an interesting news article that I came across. Um, And this week, uh, so we saw just how interesting the M&A market is. So Comstock, which I'm sure folks are familiar with, a $470 million company with $1.25 billion in debt is making a $2.2 billion acquisition of Covey Park. And not to mention the deal was backed by Jerry Jones. Some interesting M&A activity, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you just never know what's going to happen next. No, no, it, you don't. Well, we'll see what, what happens going forward. But nonetheless, um, interesting news article. Thought I would share that with everybody. And uh, so, Matt, another good topic that uh, we should talk about, and actually it was a question that came up uh, from James in the Northeast. We really appreciate you reaching out. Uh, said, hey, guys, love the podcast. Can you do one that goes into more depth about barite sag and the relationship between low shear rate viscosity? Uh, a great question, a very technical question, but certainly something that's discussed. Uh, I wouldn't say quite regularly, but it's important to understand, especially uh, you know with regards to weighted muds. Uh, I'm sure everyone out there that's you know that's been in the mud world for a while has experienced either barite sag or oh, the barite's falling out. And so so it's definitely an interesting topic. Um, so Matt, why don't we go ahead and talk about what, define what SAG is for everybody. Sure. Well, uh, it is a good question. I kind of feel like this is one of the oil field boogeymen um, <laughs> where when uh, something's going wrong and no one can really think of exactly what it is, this is one of the things that comes up and everybody's scrambling to disprove it. But um it really amounts to sag or, or the settling of solids, particularly the weight material out of your fluid, uh, which can happen both from just leaving the well static for a while and, and gravity doing its thing, uh, or under dynamic conditions where you're actually circulating uh, and the material starts to fall out. And now the weight material that's supposed to be providing that hydrostatic column um, isn't providing as much pressure on the formation and all of a sudden we may have a well control issue or, or some kind of, of uh, serious issue where we could induce some losses, we could create some other problems. Um, and I think one of the things that is important to remember is the API definition is that 
the differential is half a pound per gallon or more. Uh, I've seen it as high as three or four pounds uh, difference in mud weight. So instead, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so could you give me an example to kind of clear that up? So when you're talking about like the in weight versus the out weight. Right. So let's say that we've been logging for a while and um, circulating at very low rates. It's a high temperature well, and I have a 12 pound mud weight. And when we circulate bottoms up, I get 16 pound per gallon mud. Gotcha. Um, which is a pretty scary thing if you're out there and, and see that huge of a swing because that means there's some very light fluid somewhere as well. Okay. And then not to mention too, I mean, a lot of times uh, you, have to, you have to understand the full picture of what's going on because if you have a little bit of a gas cut, you know, obviously there's things that, that reduce the mud weight. But if, if you've kind of checked the boxes and that seems to be the last one, it's something that could potentially be happening. Sure. So, uh, so what kind of conditions would, I mean, what are some common conditions that we actually see this or experience SAG? Um, I think, you know, the key thing to keep in mind is that a lot of it is driven by low pump rates and slow pipe rotation. Um, so if you're having annular velocities below hundred feet a minute, um, rotating below hundred RPMs, basically what you're doing is you're breaking the gels of the fluid and, you know, just kind of think about jostling the fluid a little bit just enough so those particles kind of get some help falling down a little faster than gravity would let them um and it's even more emphasized in in a deviated well that might be like 30 to 70 degrees somewhere some people say 40 to 60 but think about just that that material doesn't have that far to fall it falls a couple of inches and then it can just slide down the bottom of the well and kind of avalanche downwards and now you have a lot of heavy material accumulating and a lot of light material rising to the top. Makes sense. <clears throat> so are, are there certain, uh, is it more common in one mud system than the other? It, it's very uncommon in water-based mud. Um, and there's, there's a few different reasons for that, but I would say that the problem is when you say it's usually oil-based mud, then somebody has a SAG event in water-based mud. And, <laughs> you know, so oh, you've always got to be on alert. Uh, for the most part, you have to have enough weight material to really see this, but not so much that the fluid is laden with solids and it actually kind of supports itself. So it's typically between 12 and 14 pounds per gallon is sort of the, the sweet spot. Once you get above 17, um, it's just really hard because you've got so much weight material present to actually have a significant separation. Hmm. Um you know, a, a lot of the a lot of the conditions that can drive this, uh, you'd mentioned if you were taking gas, um, big temperature differentials, really hot, uh, you know, hot wells where it's cooler higher up and you kind of have some sort of convection current going. Gas stripping that's destabilizing the mud can cause the bayrite to fall out. Um, you know, as, and as far as, you know, my experience, uh, one of the biggest things that we see is brand new mud that hasn't been through a drill bit or um, perhaps mud that has been thinned. Uh, let's say we're going to go run casing and cement. So we want thin fluid um, so we can maximize our pump, pump rates with casing on bottom. Mm-hmm. So someone adds a thinner, someone adds a little bit of base oil and, and that's great for rheological properties, but um, you may not have enough time at TD to circulate and homogenize that fluid. And ultimately you might overtreat it and that can create some problems. I gotcha. So, so temperature definitely has a factor in that. So what about, uh, how does the low shear yield point or low shear, uh, viscosity come into play? 
So we know that at the we're, we're talking about very, very, very low shear rate environment where this likely initiates. That ties back to your low pump rates and your, your low pipe rotation. Um, so the low shear yield point is kind of our best guess as far as what a, a fluid rheology is at tau zero, um, which tau zero is, is kind of the zero intercept or zero shear viscosity of a Herschel Bulkley fluid. And most drilling fluids are Herschel Bulkley fluids. Low shear yield point is kind of a poor man's guess where um, you, you basically um, double your three RPM rating and subtract your six. And that number, if it's below eight, that's a pretty low viscosity. Um, and there may be a chance of some sag or settling occurring at that low rate. Gotcha. <clears throat> so uh, with regards to the mud itself, is, you know, is it important when you're building a new mud uh, to keep in mind versus a mud that's being drilling with? I mean, does that play a role? Definitely. And, and a lot of that has to do with the way these muds, the, the chemistry works. Uh, so for example, you've got an emulsion, you also may have some organo clay or some other solids, and they require shear. And at your mud plant, they're not very well yielded. These products aren't as active as they could be. But then, you know, they're good enough to get them trucked out or, or shipped out to a location. And then we start drilling with it, and we start seeing these products activate and really provide the, the low ends um, that we're looking for. Uh, and so that can be pretty significant. Has it been through a couple of circulations while drilling? Um, and, and I think it's, it's something that's, that can be overlooked. Let's say we're fighting losses for a while. We're keeping the hole full. We finally got to TD, and now we're ready to go run casing. Or we're doing something else, and we're afraid of losses, so we run casing really slowly. And now we're offering very, uh, very low shear rates where bayrite's likely to settle. No kidding. So it can be induced also. I mean, and, 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 maybe it, and maybe I'm not hitting it on the mark here, but I mean, I've been in situations on the rig where, you know, you have to wait up a significant amount, you're dumping bayrite to it, and you're not yielding the density that you should be theoretically. And so the barite's falling out. I mean, so you can kind of induce that sort of effect by mixing too fast, right? Sure. So if, if you have, if you have poor oil wetting of your material, um, so, and, and this happens when you're waiting up in a hurry, uh, you might not be adding enough wetting agent to actually disperse the weight material into an oil continuous mud, for example, uh, like an oil-based mud. Um, and so, and not only that, but you may not actually have the correct oil water ratio where the, the solids are well dispersed. So one of the, the squirreliest things you can think about is, well, I'm in an emergency trying to wait up, I need to add wetting agent, weight material, and base oil all at the same time, which seems sort of counterintuitive. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it's the case, and I may actually be building new volume, which I'm really trying to kill a well, not necessarily trying to shear up and, and circulate. Right. And not to mention when you're waiting up, you know, you're obviously making sure you have enough rheology to suspend that as well. So if you're dumping oil and wet to it, it depending on the amount, that can also lower your, your yield point, lower your low ends to where, it, yeah, it, it's not just add barite and away you go. You got to consider all the other properties that could be affected as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, 
what I mean, how do we typically test for this? And, and is there are there certain signs we can watch out for uh, before we get into a train wreck? Sure. Um, I mean, it kind of depends on the equipment you have on hand. And there, so in the lab, there have been a tre- there's been a tremendous amount of work on very expensive equipment that's really only going to work in a lab to try and take measurements. So we've done flow loop studies and used low shear rate viscometers to try and read at that near tau zero measurement um, and try and do some of those things that kind of unfortunately you can't actually do in the field which is where you're likely to see this Mm -hmm. the other part of it is lab muds that you might use in your lab for all that testing look a little different than something that is in the field so right um getting a straight answer can be a little tricky um the the sag window is something that the api recognizes which is the idea of if you um you know if your viscosity is inside a certain window uh at uh, at a certain shear rate, uh, you're probably safe. The only issue with that is those shear rates it specifies are ones that you can only read in the lab. So we're sort of left with one test that's been recognized called the viscometer sag shoe test. Okay. So what is that? That's I've never heard of that. Okay. Well, so it's what it is is it's like all high tech oil field things. It is basically a plastic sloped shoe you stick in your heater cup um and the idea is that you put your it's got a slope and a little well at the bottom so you put your mud in um heat it up and then you actually rotate your viscometer and while it's rotating it's offering low shear so you're rotating it at 100 rpms with the idea that this is aiding to induce a sag tendency okay and then it could fall into that little sloped um, portion and go down to the bottom into the little well well area huh. and then you take a needle and basically extract the material from the bottom there and weigh it and get an equivalent mud weight and compare that to what your mud weight is at surface and kind of compare the two um, most some folks have specs my experience has been that it's something where if you're in a real risky environment it's much easier to trend so run it every day and kind of see if it drops suddenly. But using absolute numbers can be a bit messy as well. Hmm. Um, just by way of, I think, it, there's, a, there's a temptation to overreact to a low number. Sure. Um, especially if you know in this field we've done this all the time. It's no problem. Um, the, the, the kind of knock on the test or some of the criticism I've seen is just well, you can't get a low enough shear rate to really see the effect. I think from a benchmarking perspective, at least this is something basic and easy anyone could run in the field uh, if we needed to monitor it. Sure. Is this something that's more common offshore? Because on land, all the rigs I've been on, I've never come across this piece of equipment. Uh, even It's not very common offshore as well. It's, it's an API-approved method, and, and okay. I think that's kind of the, the main thing. There's a, there's a couple, but... Uh, the only times I've ever really used it were when we had a customer extremely concerned about SAG. And my personal experience is what happens in, if you're working in a certain area is someone has a serious SAG event. Um, it leads to a bunch of downtime. The next few wells, everybody's really paranoid about SAG. You run these extra tests. Everybody acts extra cautious. And then they kind of forget about it. And about 18 months later, you have another incident because people aren't monitoring things. and. Um, that sort of thing. So it just sort of comes and goes uh, with uh, 
kind of people's level of alert and yeah. what other distractions they have going on. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, something I thought of as we were talking here, kind of a two-part question is, and I, and I remember the, experiencing this, uh, I was on my days off, but my relief, they experienced what they thought was some serious sag um, while they were uh, making a casing run. So by that, I think there's some, you know, just in my mind, I would imagine there was some low shear rate uh, viscosity happening downhole. I mean, is it is it more common when we're, you know, during trips or casing runs? And if so, or if we're, if we are experiencing it, whether we're drilling or casing run, I mean, w what can we do uh, as a, you know, mitigation to, to help bring the, the well back to where we need it to be, or at least the mud back to where we need it to be? So, I mean, during a casing run is pretty tricky. Uh, there are some wells offshore I've dealt with where you sort of manage it. Uh, so when you know or you think it's likely happening, uh, you can stage in, right? Try and get an even column mud weight. The really scary thing is I don't know how heavy my slug of bayrite is down below, right? So mm. if I stage in with, I've got light spots on top, I try and circulate that out with what I want my mud weight to be, my column is too heavy now, I could induce losses. Um, and I still don't know what mud weight I have. Right. Um, but staging in, careful monitoring, um, you know, the, the most important thing is to catch it as early as you see it and not let it get worse. Um, and so, you know, I, I know some, some scenarios where it's just like, hey, when we log, it's going to be heavy when it comes back. And here's what we do. We, we divert that and introduce, make sure that on bottoms up, everybody's at the ready to make sure we're putting the right weight mud back in um, and that everybody's aware of what's going on. Uh, you know, in, in a lot of areas where you have the equipment, you can sort of fingerprint this. And a lot of this goes to a lot of offshore applications, right? So if I'm, if I have Coriolis meter where I'm actually automatically taking density all the time, mm -hmm. I can start to see the early signs of it and say, okay, let's stop what we're doing and correct it. With a PWD, you can fingerprint that. So what your downhole mm. pressure readings are. Sure. You just obviously have to account for a PWD under static conditions, you know, you're going to have compressibility of the mud. You're going to have, you're going to have these other effects. And so you kind of need to create a baseline and not just assume your surface mud weight for your fingerprint, or it's always going to be heavier downhole. Interesting. Okay. Well, you know, that actually clears up a lot for me. I can't think of any other questions I have. Is there anything else, you know, some takeaways that uh, you can touch on? I mean, you know, we, we hit it pretty good, but anything else you can think of? Um, I mean, I think it's just one of those, it's a key to being, being alert, understanding when your conditions are most likely to have an incident, mm -hmm. um, and being pre prepared to respond. There's a lot of papers out there on kind of the research and, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's interesting stuff, but every time you read one of those and say, aha, I think we've almost cracked the code, yeah, I, I think the challenge I continue to see is, okay, so what do I do about this on a rig? Right. Um, so it's, it's interesting, but I look forward to what technology may come out of that, whether it's a monitoring system, whether it's new products that help us kind of end around the, the lab field quandary of, you know, seeing and doing. Yeah, no kidding. Well, uh, James, hopefully we've done a good job at answering your question. If you want us to elaborate or if you have anything further, just hit us up. And um, again, anyone out there who has any questions, feel free to email us at the at flowlinepodcast at aesfluids.com. 
Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. But but again, we welcome questions. Uh, any added insight or papers or stories uh, with regards to Bearite SAG? Uh, we're certainly open to talk about it. And uh, anyways, that's it for now. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.